Welcome. You're listening to another episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined by my co-host, the terrific Jacob Rudner. It's been a while, Jacob, but we are back to talk some Florida football here two weeks through the season. A lot to talk about. Good to be back. No doubt. Yeah, great to be back. Finally back uh, in season mode uh, and exciting to be doing podcasts. Absolutely. Me too. And we have a lot to talk about. Obviously, Florida opened the season August 31st on the road at Salt Lake City. And as Florida fans now know, as we sit here and talk about it, it is Tuesday, September 12th. Florida fell to the Utes on the road, a 13-point loss that saw Florida, I kind of want to just say exposed. We'll come out and say it in multiple facets. I know it's the first game of the season, but the offensive line had issues. There were protection issues all night. I think that Florida struggled. And then in the pass rush, um, certainly a question mark right now for this Florida team. So it is absolutely, I think, you know, heading into SEC play coming up here, there's a lot of questions still for the Gators to answer because that was not a impressive performance in really many ways uh, against the youths. I'm interested what impressed you, Jacob, and for in terms of, I think, issues right now that stand out to you, just what was the most glaring thing about that loss to the youths? Yeah, I mean, not to rehash old problems too much, but I think the biggest thing for me uh, was just Florida's operation. And if you follow us on swamp247.com, you've already read and seen kind of how we felt about this game, just in terms of Florida's procedure. Penalties were a problem. Uh, Nine for 45 yards, three of those were in the red zone. Third down offense was really poor, three for 13. Uh, The Gators only converted really late when it didn't matter in the game anymore. And a lot of the play design on those third downs was kind of uninspiring. Uh, you know, false starts on offense. Just looking at a list here of problems from that game. Uh, defense, I thought, was very good. You know, there's a lot of negative from this from that matchup, but I think that defense uh, was one area that Florida really stood out and I think should give Florida fans some hope as far as how the rest of the season might unfold. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say that, you know, the biggest problems for me were operation in terms of penalties, uh, maybe play execution in areas like third down. Uh, an offensive line, which which really struggled to hold up, giving up five sacks and seven tackles for loss. Those would be the areas that stood out to me as pretty glaring concerns. Yeah, I think that certainly there was a lot to pick apart there. And I've mentioned this before, the clock change rules, just taking away you know, an offensive possession may limit a team like Florida that is designed to control the football. We've seen that these long seven, eight-minute drives that take up a whole chunk of time. And and we don't know quite yet, I think, if they're able to be a team that can quickly move down the field if they do face a large deficit. I think that was certainly a question that has now been uh, one that has been asked in the aftermath of defeat. But Florida obviously did bounce back with a win, their first in the last four games dating back to last season by playing McNeese State this past weekend. Uh, A resounding victory, I think, for Florida that – You know, Billy Napier just came out and said it just to see the team compete thoroughly uh, against an overmatched FCS opponent, I think has to be reassuring for a head coach who maybe was wondering if his team was down after the defeat to the Utes to see them come out and Graham Mertz to remain efficient. I know that we haven't really brought that up as well. What stood out to you in that game 
against the Cowboys in terms of impressive aspects and maybe some corrections that the Gators were able to make against the Cowboys. Yeah, you know, you don't ever really want to take away too much from these contests between FCS uh, and FBS teams, especially in this instance where McNeese State was 11-18 and 18 over its previous three seasons prior to matching up against Florida. So it wasn't exactly uh, a, a great test uh, for all the things that we just discussed about, about that Utah game. That being said, uh, I was impressed with the things that were unimpressive to me in game one. I thought operation was really clean. Uh, not a lot of penalties for the Gators throughout that contest, offensively or defensively. Uh, offensive line performed quite well. Billy Napier told us uh, that Jake Slaughter, Florida's backup center, was one of the players of the game. Uh, just kind of reflective of the overall performance from that group. Graham Mertz, who you just mentioned, was extremely efficient in this contest. Uh, he com- he completed 14 to 17 passes, 193 yards and a touchdown. He's been excellent. 73.8% completion in that category. Uh, I think you know Florida fans might want to see a little more downfield action within Florida's passing game, some, some, a little more explosive, which Billy Napier mentioned as well. But not a lot to complain about, really, from, from that McNeese State game. Uh, Florida's defense was historically good, fewest yards allowed in the game at 112 since 2016. Uh, we saw the pass rush come a little bit to life in that game. Jamari Lyons uh, was somebody who stood out quite plainly to me uh, as an effective pass rusher and, and also in that run game which will be important as Florida gets into Tennessee this week. So, uh, you know, it, it was good. I think it was what it was needed to be. I think calling it good is, is maybe a stretch just because of, you know, who was on the other side of the field for the Gators. Uh, but it was, it was exactly what Florida needed to do, uh, and, and it delivered. And so I, I think that there's just really nothing to complain about uh, from a pretty one-sided game. Yeah, I think establishing the run was a massive thing for Florida because I know it was just one game against the Utes, but I think that there were some question marks about Florida's ability to do so. And Billy Napier had come out right after the loss in Salt Lake City and said, we need to run the football more. We can't go away from what we built this team's identity around, even when the outcome is not favorable and we're down two touchdowns and and need to air it out a good bit. So to see Florida run it 40 times between Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, and the freshman, Trayon Webb, who I thought looked really good against McNeese. Again, you have to kind of always say this under the context of, well, the opponent. But I thought that Trayon Webb just looked really poised, decisive with his runs. He hit the hole, um, like I said, you know, aggressively and, and knew where he was going. He didn't hesitate. And it, it looks like another good addition in the backfield by Billy Napier, who has been able to make some, you know, I think just three for three so far in adding Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, and now Trayon Webb to this backfield room. And obviously, you know, the improvement of the offensive line. I had asked Graham Mertz after the loss in Utah when we were sitting there in in the tunnel of, you know, Rice-Eccles Stadium. And I asked him and said, you know, how confident are you that these guys are are not going to just let this loss, you know, fall by the wayside, that they're going to benefit from this loss. And and he said, absolutely. That's how it is. Guys improve after a loss, you put things on film. And and you mentioned Jake Slaughter. I thought that he absolutely uh, is indicative of that. That's very evident in his improvement. Again, granted the opponent. And I hate to keep saying that to minimize a strong performance from a guy who maybe had been put into a tough situation on the road in a daunting environment, but then comes back home and plays really, really well. Billy Napier mentioned, one of the players of the game. So I think to, you know, build offensive line depth, get some confidence back for some guys 
like that, those are intangibles that maybe don't you know show up in the stat sheet, but that's going to benefit this team uh, as we head into SEC play here. Um, Billy Napier has said that he knows it. And I think that you are going to see that come to fruition, but I keep saying this, the opponent makes it really difficult to gauge. I think whether these corrections are short-term or long-term corrections that have been made, we're obviously going to see that in the weeks to come as the opponents increase in um, competitive nature here, no disrespect to the Cowboys. Um, But starting with Tennessee coming up here, what questions do you still have about this current Florida team that uh, remain unanswered in your mind after two games, Jacob? I mean, I, I think that this, uh, it could sound a cop-out answer, but I, I think it ha- the answer to me is everything is still kind of unknown about this group. I, we've, you know, we've only seen two games, one of which, you know, I, I hate to use this kind of a word, but one of which is, is somewhat meaningless in terms of trying to, you know, really draw uh, wholesome conclusions from from those contests. I, I don't think that there's a way to really concretely take anything away uh, in terms of performance or ability from from that McNeese State matchup. Uh, and then the Utah matchup was was really really poor, but maybe so poor that it's kind of hard to know if is Florida going to be the team that we saw in Salt Lake City or is Florida a better version, a cleaner version of, of the team that we saw there. And so I think that uh, as a result of what I just said, it's all, un, it's all unanswered to me. I, I, I need to see Florida be uh, an effective running team to be able to, as you called it, you know, go to its identity, uh, utilizing Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne effectively against an opponent like Tennessee. That would be indicative of, of a team that it can be solid. And maybe that didn't show really what it's capable of in Salt Lake City. Uh, will Florida be able to stop the run? That was a problem last year, especially in the second half of games. That'll be relevant this week. Tennessee moves the ball very quickly. They're an up-tempo offense. And they're running the ball at the fourth-best clip in the nation right now. So it's a group that is going to have to be slowed down on the ground. Are the Gators up for that kind of a task? We don't know. Uh, they, they, they did fine against Utah. Like I said earlier, Florida's defense was good in that game. Uh, how well does it hold up against Tennessee? And, and the same can be said for every other category on offense, defense, uh, and so for me, this will be kind of a prove-it opportunity against an opponent that is well-liked nationally. So you, you know, Tennessee comes into this game ranked 11th. And so uh, this, to me, is a very good early season barometer uh, of where Florida is at. And it should be able to give us some clarity in terms of what its true problems and maybe its true strengths are. Yeah, good answer. I think we've said this you know, time and time again, but part of maybe some of these amplified expectations just in year two for Billy Napier are how, you know, as a result of how Florida's rivals are doing, right? I mean, you look at obviously Miami beating Texas A&M, you look at how Tennessee in year two under Josh Heupel was able to become this competitive top 10 team. You look at Georgia, obviously I don't need to repeat what they've done to add to the misery of Florida fans, but that absolutely has added, to the expectation right here. And you're going to see, I think, two programs that are in very similar situations, young head coaches, but in terms of where their roster construction is overall, you're looking at a a Tennessee team with a lot more experience. They have a a veteran quarterback once again, who has the ability to, um, you know, take a deep shot and runs the, you know, 
the game very, very fast uh, just because he knows what he's doing. Not to say that Graham Mertz doesn't do that, but just a different level of a dynamic talent there. And the run game, as you mentioned, going to be a huge test for this rebuilt Florida front seven. But we're going to save most of the Tennessee conversation for later in the week. But before we wrap up this podcast, I know you just said it's a little bit too early to take too much away from the first two weeks of the season. But I do want to have a brief discussion on Florida's quarterback, because I feel like we, for a long time, we did spend a good bit of time talking about Graham Mertz, but I think that you and me maybe were a little bit uh, less quick to judge what Florida was getting in Graham Mertz. And again, just been, you know, two weeks, but going back to that Utah game, you saw a quarterback who consistently faced pressure, got hit, got up time and time again, and for the final, you know, two and a half quarters of that game, the Utes were expecting Graham Mertz to drop back and pass, and he was extremely efficient. That turnover was, you know, was really not his fault necessarily. I think that Florida, I think fans may have, um, you know, discredited Graham Mertz a little bit too soon because I was saying this to you, the narrative for so long was that look at the promising pieces that Florida has added but we got to see what you have in, in Graham Mertz there. Now it's that Graham Mertz is doing what he's is asked of him. He's largely playing turnover-free football. He's completing 73.8% of his passing attempts. He has the second most yards in the debut of a Florida starting quarterback behind Shane Matthews, 562 yards. I mean, the guy has already set a career-high passing yards. I do think it's worth noting that of a lot of the things that were said about this team in the previous eight months, Graham Mertz so far has proved a lot of the doubters wrong because he has not been the cause of the issues that we've seen. Granted, it's been 120 minutes of football, but I think that there are some fans out there who were a little down on Graham Mertz who all of a sudden see that this is a polished quarterback who understands what's being asked of him. And a lot of it's going to come down to the game plan and the coaching decisions rather than, who's the starting quarterback, I think, because he's going to do what is asked of him by the coaching staff. I got to be honest with you, Graham. I, I, I was skeptical uh, of Graham Mertz, you know, pretty much immediately after Florida brought him in as its transfer quarterback. And I've said that on this podcast. I've said it uh, over at, at swamp247.com on our message board and in stories, um, just based on his past production. And and if I have, I'm going to be honest with, with our listeners here, um, I am still somewhat skeptical, maybe less skeptical, but, but I am carrying skepticism into week three and potentially even beyond that. And I'll explain why. Um, has Mertz delivered and done what he is asked to do? Yes, 100%. And there's no taking that away from him. He's been efficient. As you mentioned, he's almost completing 75% of his throws. Uh, you know, the one turnover that he had against Utah, as you said, you know, if it, if it is his fault, I don't know that it's the majority is his fault. It was a tip ball, you know, it kind of can go both ways there. Uh, and, and he has, you know, operated well, especially, you know, at times with pressure in his face due to poor pass protection. That is, is, a, is a truth, and I will not deny that. That being said, um, I do have to question the results a little bit because I wonder if the statistics don't tell us the full story. And the reason for that is because Graham Mertz is, for the vast majority of his attempts, living in the zero to nine yard range. Florida does a lot of run replacement screen type stuff, uh, very quick, you know, fast action passes, barely beyond the line of scrimmage. 
that is a significant part of the Gators offensive repertoire. And so there will come a time this year where Graham Mertz will not be able to beat teams in the short to intermediate range. And Florida will need to be more explosive. You don't want to take my word for it. Listen to what Billy Napier had to say uh, on Monday, telling reporters that Florida needs to be more explosive uh, for that reason. And so uh, I, I need to see more of that in Mertz's tool bag. Uh, I think that there will be times still where Florida faces a defensive line that's going to give its offensive unit some problems uh, that will be disruptive. And, you know, Utah, we can say all we want about completion percentage and uh, yardage and how many Florida quarterbacks have thrown for over 300 yards in their debut. That's all great. Uh, To me, though, Florida didn't win that game, and they did not score until very late, uh, you know, with a a 19-yard touchdown there to Caleb Douglas. And so did I see enough at Utah to really give me confidence in Graham Mertz going forward? Definitely not. And, and can I take anything really concrete away from a very pretty performance uh, against McNeese State, which included a deep ball? I really can't. Again, McNeese State is just not a valuable opponent in terms of you know, grand takeaways like that. I am encouraged, though, and I am you know, eager to see what Graham Mertz is able to do as we move forward. But, but my answer is still, you know, I have questions, and it's not that I'm doubting him. It's just that I need to see more. Absolutely fair. And again, this week, as you said, going to be a massive test, a a true barometer, I think, for what Graham Mertz can um, do for this Florida offense. I do think that maybe, and this is going to be interesting to look back on at the end of the season, maybe there's a little bit now of heightened expectations after what we've seen from Graham Mertz for the first two weeks, because I don't think a lot of people necessarily believe that Graham Mertz was going to come in here and be able to run an explosive offense. I think that it was mainly about being a game manager, playing turnover free football in Florida, running the football. Now I think we're having the conversation about, well, what happens if the defense gives up 21 quick points and the Gators in this, I hate to bring up the clock change rules in this era where, you know, you're going to get a little bit less time necessarily. What are they going to do when they don't have a dynamic weapon? That's part of why people have called for an increase of usage in Eugene Wilson, which we did see from week one to week two. And I think we'll only continue. I think that people are looking for Florida. If the defense is not going to hold opponents to, you know, single digit scores, you know, like they just did against McNeese, they're going to need to be able to score points quickly. And where is that going to come from right now? We've seen Graham Mertz be efficient. We've seen him work the short passing game. Now, what can he do with the deep ball? And as he said on Monday, this is going to be a thing that I think that they understand they have to answer the call and show people that they can do that. And he came out and said, I think it's not any alterations to the game plan necessarily. They just need to take advantage of more opportunities. You saw him connect with Ricky Pearsall there. And again, this is a guy who has been in the program for nine months now. And one of his, I think, top weapons in Wilson has only been in the program for, what, three months now. So there still is a timing, getting on the same page factor right now. And I think that's part of why you saw Graham Mertz stay out there into the second half against, an, an, again, an overmatched opponent is to keep getting reps and building that timing and establishing that downfield passing game because Florida is going to need that, uh, I think, sooner rather than later, probably starting with this weekend. They're going to need to, if they're not able to establish the run, like they weren't able to in Salt Lake City, they're going to need to be able to carve up 
the third level of an opposing defense. And we have not really seen that. So that I think will be a huge thing for Graham Mertz to answer this weekend. And we'll be able to see whether he's able to do it or not. I agree. Yeah. All right. So this has been a recap of the Swamp 247 podcast. We will be back later this week to talk all things Tennessee. Before that, you can check out a ton of Tennessee content over at swamp247.com. And we'll be back later in the week. I'm your host, Graham Hall, joined by my co-host, Jacob Rudner. Take care.